This is Richard Ellis Talks with founding pastor of Reunion Church in the heart of downtown Dallas, Richard Ellis. This is a place for encouragement and hope as Richard challenges us to continue to grow in Jesus. And all month long, he's focused on holiday themes as we share the 25 Talks of Christmas. Now, if you're not able to stay with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up on the 25 Talks of Christmas Advent Calendar on the website, richardellistalks.com. Every talk can be listened to whenever you're ready on your own time at richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is, All I Want for Christmas is You. It took Mariah Carey 25 years for her song to finally hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100s. Finally, in 2019, she made it to number one with All I Want for Christmas Is You. Does anybody know the only other Christmas song to ever hit number one like that one? Anybody? It was the Chipmunk song, if you remember that. And so that puts Mariah Carey in some tremendous company. So turn to Luke chapter 2. So let's start here, Luke chapter 2, and read down to where we're going to be today. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place when Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So Jesus is born the first Christmas. Now we haven't always called it Christmas. That's kinda, I think it came in the end of the, like 1034, somewhere in there. The two words Christ and mass kind of got thrown together and you got Christmas out of that. Next thing that happens is the shepherds are told, it's announced to them in Bethlehem, the city of David, a child is born, heavenly host, one angel shows up in the heavenly host singing glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And so then the angels say, okay, let's go, let's go into town and see what's happened. So after all of that, if you go down to verse 21, something interesting happens. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And he shows up there, they make the sacrifice, the necessary sacrifice, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. But then in verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is a very interesting guy. He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And if you console someone, it means something's gone terribly wrong and they need to be consoled. The consolation of Israel would be after so many years, hundreds of years of persecution, Israel making trouble for themselves and just the consequences of it in exile back and forth, trying to just maintain this piece of dirt that we call Israel. So he's there, he's doing his thing, Holy Spirit's upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
So he had been promised Christmas, although he didn't call it Christmas. So he's going day after day into the temple doing his thing, waiting for what? Waiting for the promise. Now, it's an interesting thing, no matter how old you get, if God promises you something before you die, you know it's going to happen. And so he waits, he waits, goes to the temple, and then all of a sudden it happens. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So you say, well, how did he know that was a kid? Let me tell you something about Jesus. When you see Jesus, you'll know you've seen Jesus. And the same thing is true when you meet someone who's a Christian who carries Christ around in their heart and in their life, unless they've put a bushel, as the scripture talks about, over that light, when you meet someone who carries the Christ, you will know that you have met, you say, well, I just met that person. You met a person transformed by another person who lives inside that person. So it's the first Christmas, they just don't know it. And all this guy wanted for Christmas was who? Was Jesus, was him. You finish up that chapter, and down in verse 33, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And if you remember what happens when Jesus dies, he's pierced. Mary, his mom, there at the foot of the cross sees that. And I think we all know if you got kids, grandkids, even brother or sister, when you see something happen to somebody else that you love, it's almost like it's happening to you and you'd swap with them if you could. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. So she got married, had been with him seven years. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. She had never remarried who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. It's interesting to me how that there's so much in life that you miss because you're not in the right place at the right time. You say, well, how did she know to be there? That's where she was all the time and God blessed her with that. So there are things that you see, you experience that God may present to you as nothing but a gift. If you trust him, you follow him. You say, well, I miss out on so much. Looks like some people see stuff and experience stuff that I don't. How did I miss it? I don't know. Are you where God wants you to be when he wants you to be there? You'd be amazed what you find. Now go to John chapter one. So you got Simeon, all he wants for Christmas is Jesus and he gets Jesus. And I would venture to say he's obviously dead and I don't think he was probably around too much longer after that. Because he's like, I saw what God promised to show me, and I can leave in peace, as he said, depart in peace. So the next all I want for Christmas is you would be spoken by Jesus himself. And who does he say it to? He says it to you. He says it to me. He says it to the whole world. It's kind of the Christmas story in John chapter 1. Let's go down John chapter 1, verse 1. Let's go down actually to verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Talking about John the Baptist. 
That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And then look at verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then the Christmas story in verse 14, and the word became flesh, the word referring to Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So it's pretty simple if you don't complicate it. And I explain this to people all the time, almost everywhere I go, is tell them, you know, God loves you. And you're never going to deserve that. There's nothing you can do to earn that. You can't pay for it. And straight up here, as many as received him. And repeatedly, people say, well, it can't be that simple. It can't be that easy. And what is my answer? Easy for who? It's easy for you because all you have to do is say, okay, God, I get it. You've bought and paid for this expensive gift, the most expensive gift ever bought and paid for, and you're offering it to me free of charge. So you only have so many options in a situation where someone purchases a priceless gift, comes to you and says, I'm offering it to you. You either say, no, thank you, and pass. You could say, you know what? I'm not saying 100% no, thank you. Let me think about it. Or you say, why would I not say yes? Why would I not accept such an expensive, costly gift, but that will literally change not only my life, but my eternity, I'm in. And you literally receive that gift. It does seem a little simple, but the Bible even says, don't get away from the simplicity that's in the gospel. You say, well, I want to do something. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to, you say, well, let him make the down payment and I'll make some payments. And a lot of Christians live this way. They say, okay, I'll let Jesus die for me, but then I want to participate in this purchase, so I'll be a good person, and when we get to the end, I'll say, well, yeah, it was Jesus, he did that, but I did this, and it was a team effort, and so that's why we're going to get in. You got nothing. You got nothing to offer. You come empty-handed with your nothing, and you walk away with him. It's completely a gift. So I encourage you to do this. You say, well, this is the same old thing you always talk about. It's the same old thing, but it's not going to do you any good no matter how simple it is until you do something with the simplicity. Because the difference, there's a gentleman in this room today, and I'm not going to have him stand up or call him out. He was in a men's group, visited one Saturday when we had our men's group, and I asked one of the guys to find me a trash bag. I'm not going to do this to anybody today, so don't anybody get nervous. But they brought the trash bag out, and I took the trash bag, and I put it over this guy's head. The children, do not do this. Okay, I know we got kids in the room. You do not want to do this. Put the trash bag over his head, tied it around his neck, and he could still hear me and could still breathe. And I said, okay, so he's got a problem. He has air all around him. He is surrounded by oxygen. He is surrounded by everything he needs. He just can't get it in him. After a while, the oxygen will run out in that bag, and what will happen to him? He'll die. Within minutes, he'd be gone. So you can have God all around you, everywhere. But you can have him atmospherically this close, pressing literally on your body. Feel him around you. People say they go into church services somewhere, like I sense that God was there. There's only one place he can't get and be in this way, and that's inside you unless you let him in. So if you tape someone's mouth up their nose, whatever you do, and cut them off from the air around them, they'll be gone. In the same way, you can have God all around you, and if you don't, in the same way that guy had to breathe, if you don't let the oxygen come in, if you don't let him come in, you are not going to make it. 
you will not live forever because you can't live forever just in this body and you're not going to be here forever. There has to be that transformation. You have to receive him as is described here in John chapter one, verse 12, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of men, but of God. So not somebody on the planet decided to have a kid. God said, you're my child. Do you want in my family? And we're born again, spiritually into that family, adopted into his family, and it happens. Go to Matthew chapter 22. A little bit back to the left. Matthew chapter 22. So let's assume you make that jump. You say, okay, God, I get that you want me. All you want for Christmas, all I want for Christmas is you, and that's Jesus talking to you. So you say, okay, you got me. Is it enough for him to have you just in the sense that if you die, you make heaven? Or is there more? Okay, so this, ton of the people in this room, maybe some listening out there beyond here are Christians. And you say, okay, well, I'm a Christian. That's it, right? I believe, that's it. Then what are you gonna do with verses like this? Matthew 22, 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? So testing him, meaning he didn't really care about the answer. He was just jacking with Jesus. And verse 37, he answers the question. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So all I want for Christmas is you. If Jesus said that to you, so what does he really want? He wants all of those three things. What are the three things? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Does he have all of that? It's very interesting to me that you can technically be doing the right thing physically, but be completely messed up in your head. All of us have stuff in our heads, and we can technically say we're not doing certain things, but we're thinking things. He wants heart, soul, mind, body. He wants us 100%. So when he says all I want for Christmas is you, he doesn't mean just you in heaven with him forever. He means you, you, him, now, here, every day, all the time, walking with him, trusting him, following him, obeying him, serving him, letting him live not just in you, but through you. So he's got you in that way. Second thing, what was the second of these commands? This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So if he really got all that there is of you, some things would change. He'd have all your heart, mind, soul, body, he'd have your spirit, everything about you, and then you'd find yourself loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Unfortunately, what you reveal, what I reveal in the way that I treat my neighbor is how poorly I really feel about myself. And I'm not gonna feel poorly about myself if I really believe God loves me. So if I'm mistreating someone, it's a direct reflection of my relationship with him. Because if I'm firing on all cylinders vertically, then I'm gonna be firing on all cylinders horizontally in my relationships with other people. Ephesians chapter two, and this just flat out says it. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. And he describes to these people how they've become Christians. And he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's by grace, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So even the faith to believe, you say, well, I'll just believe when I want to. No, you won't. If you believe all this stuff about Jesus, it is because God himself gave you the faith to believe what you believe, and then you exercise that faith and trust in him, and you believe and it's all a gift, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So he is not interested in you coming along and saying, oh, I participated. You didn't participate. 
we do nothing. It's all him. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. So the good works come after you become a Christian, not before. The by grace, through faith, it's a gift of God. So very, very, very simply, this is how it works. In this room or beyond, you're having thoughts, you're having whatever. You sense that God, literally God himself, you know it has to be him, is speaking to your heart, speaking to your mind, and saying, look, this is it. This is what you've been looking for. I am not going to kick the door down. I'm not going to force you, but I'm telling you, I love you. It's all true. Jesus died on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead to pay for your sin, to offer you eternal life, all of this as a gift. And so you sit there or wherever you are running, working, whatever you're doing, and you have a decision to make in the same way that a wrapped gift, something at Christmas is handed to you and someone says, Merry Christmas and offers you a gift. You either stare at them and go, whatever, dude, and walk away, or you reach out your hands and say, thank you, and you receive it, and now you have it. And if you haven't received it, you don't have it. You can stand there and believe for a thousand years, if you live that long, that that gift has been offered to you, but until you accept it, a gift transaction is not complete until someone gives and someone receives. So receive already. Just say, okay, God, I get it. I don't understand how it can be this simple. But I do understand you had to die to make this happen, so I accept. That's it. You say, well, then what'll happen? Look around. What happened to these screwed up people? Look at us. I'm still being mean to homeless people, but you know that's real. Because what religious people tell you is the second you do it, you'll have no more problems. You'll be rich, healthy. You'll be perfect. Nothing else will go wrong. That's just not true. You haven't met that Christian. So I'm telling you that's not what will happen. You will have a ticket to heaven. You will have entered into a relationship where if you die, when you die, you will be in heaven with God forever. But beyond that, it's a life. It's living a life, an abundant life, a life that he intended. But you cannot live even that life here without him. So you walk with him every day. You say, what if I screw up? He'll get your attention. How's he going to do that? You'll know. The old man that discipled me told me one day, he said, Richard, God will never make you do anything. He'll just make you wish you had. And that's true. You say, well, I'm living like hell and getting away with it. No, you're not. Because living like hell feels like that. You say, well, not right now. I'm I'm doing what I want to do. Why would you go back to that when that didn't work out in the first place? Right? Why would you go back to something that you gave up to choose him? Because we get tricked. The devil says, you know what? It's too hard to follow Jesus. Come back. Come back. There's nothing back there. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, but we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what do I know about this day? I know if I die, I'm going to make heaven. And I know if I live, he has already mapped out a day for me that involves him not just living in me, but through me. And so he's got plans. And I need to submit to him so I don't miss those plans. Now, you may not be, you know, do it the same way I do it. I try to pray about where I go to lunch. Simple things like, Lord, okay, where am I supposed to go? If I don't get any specific answer, then it's just, I'm just going. Listen to him. You say, well, how's he going to tell you that? All I can tell you is his sheep hear his voice. And if you live that way, then you're looking, your radar is on. You're saying, okay, Lord, help me get out of the way. I present my body. It's all, this day is yours. My life is yours. So what's up? Don't let me miss anything. I haven't shared this yet. I don't think maybe with a select few of you. A few weeks ago, 
I got a text from a friend of mine, his son, and I never get a text from his son. And he said, please pray for my mom. And I looked at the text and she was in the hospital. I go down and check, check on my friend and his wife is deathly sick. I see you. Turns out she has meningitis, 50 something years old and about a 25% chance of living. So I stayed with him, have been with him off and on for weeks now, processing that. So she almost dies, 10 bags of antibiotics going to keep her alive. And I remember looking at her, looking at him, and even having this conversation. When you love someone and you see him on the verge of death and what would eventually happen to her, there's something that kicks in when you love someone that says, God, swap. Put me in the bed and take her. Just get her out of that situation and put me, I'll take her place. So the other day, she had some surgery, and I sat with my friend for four hours in the waiting room while his wife's feet were amputated at the calves because she lived, but she had no circulation in her feet, and they died, and they removed her feet. Now you say, well, where were you supposed to be that day? I was supposed to be in a hospital with my friend sitting next to him while he processed his wife losing her feet. You say, well, what if you were supposed to be somewhere else? I wasn't. You say, well, how do you know that? Because I have God living in me, and I am not omnipresent. Even Jesus, by the way, was not omnipresent in the flesh on the planet. He could only be one place at one time. So he had to be where he was, a woman at a well, wherever he was. That's the only place he could be. You're not omnipresent. You better figure out where God wants you to be and be there. Because you can only be one place at one time. Will it always be a pleasant place? No. Would my buddy have swapped with his wife and basically said, take my feet, let her keep hers? What do you think? Absolutely. So if we have these categories for understanding swapping places then why do we have so much trouble with Jesus? Who gets it? He's God. He's already back in heaven. Why would he come down here? Why would he go through all this? Because we're not going to make it without him. And the only way I make it, the only way you make it, is we swap. And he says, you'll never make it with my dad. You'll never make it into heaven with your sin, unholy, ungodly, all your stuff. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to swap. And I'm going to put all your sin on me, and I'm going to put all my righteousness on you. And you're going to be in heaven with us forever. Are you in? What kind of fool would say no to an offer like that? Let me read you one last one out of 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So people say to me, well, why would a you know, loving God send anybody to hell? You make hell, you picked hell. He doesn't want any to perish. You say, well, what if you know, all this predestination stuff, what if I was predestined to hell? Then why are you worried so much about heaven? If you're a goner already, you wouldn't care pay attention. If you still care, it might mean you still care. So you say, well, what do I do? I'd say a little prayer to Jesus. And this is how it goes. All I want for Christmas is you. Because if you don't have him, you got nothing. 
You'll never make it in eternity with him. You'll never make it here with him. It's him. And all you're going to want if you figure this out is him. Because when you get him, you get everything else that you really want and you really need. Thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. So many people like you tell us that Richard's unique way of boiling down God's truths and making his word clear and easy to apply to our daily life is what sets this program apart from everything else on your radio, helping to reach everyone together with God's good news. In fact, reaching everyone together is not only Pastor Richard's ministry mission, but it's also the mission that Jesus commands each believer when he gave us our marching orders in Mark 16, 15, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So that's what these daily talks are all about, to encourage and equip us to be a light of hope to others this Advent season. Now, during the 25 Talks of Christmas this month, it's a different holiday-themed program each and every day. So if you miss any previous Christmas talk, just click on the daily Advent calendar at richardellistalks.com to listen to, download, or share any of these Christmas talks. It's right there on the homepage at richardellistalks.com. And while you're on the website, be sure to surf around for hundreds of other encouraging audio and video talks, tons of interesting blogs, or to submit a request on the prayer wall, or to follow us on social at Talk With Richard, and much more. It's all right there at richardellistalks.com, alongside the Daily Christmas Talks Advent Calendar. So as we wrap up, thank you for listening today, and thank you for praying for Richard. As we look forward to coming alongside you again for the next of our 25 Talks of Christmas on Richard Ellis Talks.